Hi, my name is Alex Kelly, co-founder of Bright Flag, and this is In-House Outliers, a podcast where I interview those who've taken unconventional paths and challenged conventional notions of how in-house legal should operate. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Colin Levy, Director of Legal at Malbec and a leading legal tech evangelist. Colin, thank you so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure. Happy to be here. Colin, I know you've had a love of tech from a young age. What, what sparked this? My, my love of tech, I think, has evolved over the years. When I was much younger in high school, some friends and I uh, ran a company that did website design and development. And that was back in the days when websites were a newish thing. So that was my initial foray into, into technology, but I still was somewhat skeptical of it because like so many, I found it fairly intimidating and I found it a little bit hard to grasp getting into because I thought I would have to learn how to become some hardcore coder or programmer. And then fast forward a number of years, prior to law school, I worked for a big law firm creating e-discovery databases. So then I got an uh, insider's view of the relationship between technology and the law and lawyers. And it was interesting to me how disinterested the lawyers seemed to be in the tech all they were interested in was really the results of the use of the tech. So went to law school, there was no talk of tech really at all, other than basic legal research tools, which I found somewhat odd and surprising considering technology at that time's growing influence on so many other industries, medicine, finance, you name it, it was there. And we law seemed to be in, in, on an island unto itself. So Following that, I thought to myself, I can't be the only one who feels like there's this disconnect between technology and law. So me being me, I thought the best way for me to learn about this was to find others who shared that view and were trying to do something about it. So I simply just engaged with others who were teaching about it or creating their own products to help lawyers or legal professionals using technology. And I started kind of taking in those lessons that I was learning and then sharing some of what I learned with others to help educate and inform others who may have had that same fear I once had of, of technology. That's really interesting, Colin. If we, if we kind of rewind to that point after high school and you're considering what you're going to do and study in college and potential career path, you, you weren't convinced going down the engineering route was necessarily the right fit for you. Why did you decide to do a, a BA in public policy and law? Had you got your sights set on, on a more traditional career as a lawyer at that stage? At that stage, absolutely. I definitely was more convinced that the right route for me was sort of a more traditional lawyer route. Certainly was that when I was in law school, I envisioned myself just having a, a run-of-the-mill, if you will, career with respect to in-house work. But then as I started working, I realized... That was just getting a little tiresome, and I really needed to find some way to balance this growing interest in technology, particularly as I saw that there were some interesting aspects of learning how to code and or just understanding technology at a deeper level that could be very helpful for someone in the law with respect to providing legal services to others. And so I tried to find ways to engage in that passion while also pursuing my career as a lawyer. And at times I was definitely a bit challenging because I felt like I was kind of doing two things that had nothing to do with one another for a little while. And that was, that was tough, but then eventually I found a way to merge the two. And, and now they're so intertwined that it doesn't really feel like 
there's any tension at all. They just feel one and the same. Mm. And when you think back to, I know you went on to study to, to law school at Boston College. When you think back on the, the law school curriculum at that point in time, what was your take on it and how well it was actually preparing legal professionals for a, a future career in the law at, at that point in time? <laughs> I'm laughing because I, over time, been fairly critical of law schools and their approach to teaching lawyers how to be lawyers because I, I find that they actually don't do a very good job of preparing law students to be lawyers. They do a very good job of teaching about the history and the underpinnings of the law and how the law came to be and how certain legal concepts came to be and how certain laws have evolved. But in terms of actually practicing as a lawyer, the majority of my time, at least in law school, was not on that. And there was very little opportunity to explore that other than through ad hoc externships, internships, or some practical skills-based courses, which I have been a big fan of. But beyond that, law school really was not, I would say, at least for me, great preparation to be a lawyer. It was great preparation to learn sort of the history. Really, a lot of my experience in terms of learning how to be a lawyer came after law school. And well, certainly I can understand law school is not necessarily being, you know, able to teach some of the stuff that only experience can teach. On the other hand, there are certain basic skills at law schools that they could do a better job of teaching around negotiation around people management, project management, collaboration, some of these basic skills that are very useful, not just in the law, but really for in any career. You're spot on there. And what's interesting to me is what's going to happen if it becomes challenging for law firms, which have historically been the place where the more practical training has happened. If the business model no longer supports them hiring massive cohorts of associates and paying them extremely well. And if it becomes more challenging for that model to persist because of pressures coming from corporate legal departments who are no longer willing to pay for that, that more junior inexperienced resource, will that result in law schools having to rethink the curriculum and take more ownership of that more practical training for the next generation of lawyers in the industry. And to be fair, we, we at Bright Flag, we have contributed to, to some programs, law schools in the US, as well as in, in Europe, where they are starting to introduce coding for lawyers, building awareness around legal operations around, uh, around what's happening in the industry. But I suspect that it's still really falling to the law firms as the where the training is actually happening right now. I don't know what your perspective on that is. Yeah, I think by and large, uh, most of the training for being a lawyer uh, does take place at the law firm level or, in my case, in-house. But I, I do think that is something that will need to change and evolve or, over time. And I think part of the reason why it hasn't changed yet in a large part of the U.S. is because, well, number one, there are law schools I don't think necessarily have the right teachers in place to be able to teach some of the skills that I alluded to that are needed to know how to practice law because a lot of these folks who are teaching at law schools haven't really practiced that much themselves. They've been focused on academia. So there's that. I think the other part of it too is that law firms, at least big law firms and law schools have sort of this odd symbiotic relationship where law schools feed law students into these big law firms and big law firms reward the law schools by allowing the law schools say, hey, look, we have a high percentage of students that end up at these big prestigious law firms 
and the boss will benefit from financially from that, from having alumni at these big firms and also from the cachet of having people be at these big firms. So I think there are a lot of incentives in place that have been in place for a long time that in some ways preclude innovation at the law school level and also I think inhibit the number of opportunities there are to teach some of these more practical skills. It's not a trivial thing to to change the direction of, of the ship that has been steering for quite a while with a lot of interest tied up in it. If we return to your own career journey then, Colin, what was the first job after law school? So that's an interesting question because when I graduated, I graduated into what was not a very good labor market because it was the tail end of the Great Recession and I didn't really want to move out of Boston, which was a relatively small legal market and still is despite there being a large number of firms based here. So it took me over a year to find my first full-time job. So what I did in the meantime was I looked at the skills I needed to have to work in-house and realized that in order to prove to an in-house employer that I was the right person for the job, I need to have this, those certain set of skills. And so I took on a number of different temporary roles that afforded me opportunities to develop and refine those skills that I was going to need to have to work in-house. And it was not ideal. These temporary jobs, they came, they went, they started, they stopped. There was a fair amount of instability, but that was what I needed to do to be able to get to where I needed to go because I was a fresh law grad. I was a lawyer, technically, because I passed the bar, but I had no experience. So to work in-house with experience is, is a tough hill to climb. So I had to do what I had to do to find my first full-time role. And once I did find it, it was with a uh, big global manufacturing company. Uh, and I was part of a small legal team and it was really great exposure to the in-house world and all the different aspects of it because I was working on so many different things. And that really, I think, afforded me a really good view of what it truly meant to be an in-house lawyer. And it was really challenging at times because I had not experienced that really before. But at the same time, it was, it was almost the perfect opportunity for me to have initially since I still wanted to be an in-house lawyer. Yeah, there's a lot of similarities, Colin. I think I probably started uh, work in, in a law firm around the same time and the jobs market looked very different to, to what it does today. And, and it was a time of layoffs and cutbacks and, and there, there was not the, the opportunities in-house or in, in certainly in law firms that exist today. Was it intentional on your part that your perspective was you wanted an in-house role rather than law firm experience? Or was it more just a reflection of the market? That was very much intentional on my part. I really did not want to work for a big firm. The billable hour thing, the lack of work-life balance, the just really long hours and stress was not something I needed or wanted in my life. I was already stressed out as it was. <laughs> and I didn't need to add to that. And plus, I just big firm was just not for me. I'd already worked for one as a paralegal prior law school in New York. Just that was enough exposure for me that told me this is not the right environment for you. Now, had I contemplated working for like a small firm or a medium-sized firm? Sure, I gave that a little bit of thought, but ultimately I knew that I really wanted to have exposure to all the elements of a business and the only way to get that exposure was to work in-house. And Colin, then what was your first involvement with legal tech when you left law school and, and what's your sense of how effectively it was it was being used at that point in time so the funny thing is during my first full-time role after law school i was part of a small team that was developing and 
a proprietary in-house contract management tool focused first on NDAs and then it was going to be focused on other things. And that was my first exposure to developing legal tech. And at the time, I didn't realize that was what it was. And it gave me a really good sense of how much work it takes, how much focus it takes, and how much you really need to focus on your intended users when you're developing a legal tech product because we were a bunch of lawyers. We didn't really know a whole lot about the tech development process. So we were working with consultants to develop this. And we, I think, weren't always on the same page because we were thinking one thing, the consultants were thinking something else, and it was just this disconnect. And so I think one of the challenges for the legal tech world that I learned is being able to speak the language of business, the language of lawyers, as well as the language of tech. Because if you can't all be speaking the same language, there's going to be gaps in communication and in knowledge, and that can impede and, and have detrimental impacts upon the product development process, as well as if the product ends up being used by its intended users. I couldn't agree with you more. And it's something we, we talk a lot about here at Bright Flag is that situational awareness of the stakeholders that are involved their key objectives and priorities, the processes that exist today that may or may not be changed by what you're doing with your rebuilding initiative, with your contract management initiative, and, and bringing them on that journey with you and ensuring, as you say, everybody is speaking the same language and aligned around what is and isn't going to be achieved is so important. But it's really interesting. That was a point in time where maybe on-premise in-house solutions were the way of the world, where obviously CLM space is, is exploding now and there's so many incredible products and offerings out there like Malbec. When we return then to your time in-house, were there any learnings that have really stuck with you from your time working as a, a commercial contracts counsel? There are a number of different lessons that I think have stayed really at the forefront of my mind. One is the importance of relationship building, of being able to meet people where they are, understand the roles that they have, understand what they view as pain points, and, and being able to accommodate how they work and how they want to work and working with them. And I think that's super important. Another lesson that I have taken to heart is, and this ties right into relationship building, is collaboration. Any decision that is made by me or a legal department member is not made in isolation or, or in a vacuum. It's really made in the context of the business. And so in order to make those kinds of decisions, you have to understand the business, understand its purposes, understand how it's operating. And you can only get that understanding through clear communication and transparency in terms of what you're doing and in terms of what other departments are doing. And so you really have to work together and bring everyone together on board with respect to what you're doing. Because again, if you work in a silo, then your decision may be seen as one that is impeding or being detrimental. And you're not aware of that because you're not aware of how other things are operating, what other decisions are being made. So I really think close collaboration and working cross-functionally is super important in-house. And the last lesson I think is being pragmatic. When you're in-house, they wanna grow the business. They wanna to continue to succeed and move forward. So you have to find a way to help support that growth and not get in the way of it. And that does not mean just saying yes to everything. You do have to stick to your guns at times and, and say, yeah, this is too risky or this is you know, something I don't think we should be doing. But you, are, you need to be able to back up that decision and show why, because otherwise the business will just think you're getting in the way. And at times you also have to understand that not every risk is the same risk in different contexts, it varies by context. So a risk that may seem pretty big in one context may not seem so big in another context. So 
it's not worth fighting about everything all the time. You have to really learn how to pick your battles. That's great advice. And something I always say to the team here is that the profile of the organization, as much as the individual and the team you're working with will inform the level of risk tolerance, a financial institution, a heavily regulated organization will have probably a very different risk threshold to a high growth tech company, for instance. So understanding that being close to the business, as you say, and being proactive in, in how you kind of build that relationship with them and really understand the drivers from their perspective, rather than being seeing as the person that's always saying no, I think that that's great advice. Something we, we talk on the podcast about a lot is the role that mentors play whether formally or informally in the legal ops leaders development, were there any mentors from your in-house days that you learned a lot from? Absolutely. I, I think mentorship is incredibly important. And I've been lucky enough to have a number of mentors over the years who have been, I would say, instrumental in my development, both personally and professionally. One of whom is has been a mentor of mine for years now and just has been incredibly generous with their time and, and knowledge and sharing their experience and helping me learn and grow and supporting my development. So I, I do think that mentors are incredibly important. I now am mentoring a couple of younger lawyers myself, and it's something I really enjoy because I really enjoy giving back and supporting others as others have given back and supported me. And so I, I can't emphasize enough, I think, the importance of mentorship in one's career and development. And mentorship can take a variety of forms. It doesn't have to be some super formal kind of, I'm going to mentor you and this is how this is going to work. It's more just a relationship where your friends have weekly or monthly or quarterly just check-ins to see how things are going. And you've got some struggles or there's something on your mind. You can talk to them and talk things through. I think that can be incredibly helpful for so many. So again, mentorship has been something that has been really critical to my development. Are there any particular lessons, Colin, you've either learned through that mentorship or, or observed or taken on board through osmosis of just working closely with these people and, and seeing how they operate? Yeah, I think one of the key lessons I've learned through having a mentor and mentoring others is empathy and just really being able to connect with someone and understand that sometimes what they're struggling with is not some kind of thing that can just be documented or, or can be just fixed. It's, it sometimes can be some emotional struggle or just stress-related issue. And just being there for others, I think, can be incredibly important and powerful. And that means not even sometimes even saying anything, just simply being there and listening or saying, I'm here for you. Sometimes it's all someone needs to just know that someone's there for them to give them the confidence to proceed and move forward. So I do think leading with empathy and compassion is incredibly important. It can be really, really I think, impactful when it comes to mentorship. Yeah, I, I think it's great advice. And at the end of the day, everybody is an individual with their own background, emotional baggage, perspective on the world. And, and that's something we talk a lot about here at Bright Flag is enabling people to be their authentic selves, having that empathy and understanding of where they're coming from and that informing everything that you do, I think is, is really, uh, really powerful advice. I'd be interested to understand then, Colin, what prompted you to move fully into the world of, of legal tech away from traditional in-house roles. I still enjoy being a lawyer and I still wanted to do elements of being a lawyer, but at the same time, I knew that if I was really serious about my passion for legal tech, it only made sense for me to be in that world in some way. 
And that combined with my prior experience having worked in the startup world and enjoyed working in the startup world, that led me to exploring opportunities that combine my level of legal tech, my interest in working as a lawyer and, and working in a startup, given that much of my in-house career focused on corporate transactions and contracts, it only made sense for me to look at COM. And so that led me to looking at different opportunities with COM companies. That led me to looking at Malbec, which uh, was up to uh, give me an opportunity to work for them. And I couldn't be happier because they're incredibly supportive of what I'm doing. I'm incredibly supportive and passionate about what they do. And it's just been a really, really great, great match. And of course, I might be remiss if I didn't say how great I think the product is, of course, as well, and how user-focused it is and how intuitive the interface is. And that's the result, I think, of just the great people we have working for us that are incredibly focused on meeting users where they are and getting them to understand that tech should not be intimidating, should just be another tool in their toolbox. Yeah, and it's, it's so exciting, I think, that to our earlier conversation about the law school and the traditional route that people would go on a, as a career path into law firms, into in-house, what's so exciting now is there are these opportunities to work in legal tech companies and leverage your experience as a lawyer in a different way or to work in legal operations in a transformative role within, within corporate legal departments. Can you maybe talk to us or give us a sense of what a day a day in the life of Colin at Malbec looks like and what your core focus of what you're doing day to day is? Sure. Uh, you know, not to provide a cop out at the beginning of my answer to your question, but every day is a bit different. But usually every day involves a little bit of the following things. Um, checking on deals that I am working on in terms of either negotiation or or simply just a demo or responding to an RFP. Part of it involves also writing, you know, perhaps providing content with respect to a forthcoming blog post or a marketing initiative that we're working on or brainstorming a new marketing initiative or a piece of content we're thinking about doing. And then also just simply supporting members of the sales team with respect to prospecting because my network is fairly wide. So sometimes I just checking on the sales folks to see who they've been talking to. And sometimes they'll reach out to me for help with respect to, hey, I see you're connected with so-and-so. What can you tell me? You know, what do you think of them? What do you think their needs are? That type of thing. So it's really a multifaceted role that I have where I'm working with a number of different functions and supporting them in their various initiatives. And it's and it's fun for me because there's such a variety each day. And that is really something that I find very enjoyable and, and motivating. We're, uh, we're kindred spirits on that front, Colin. It's certainly what I've loved about the, the journey here at Bright Flag. No two days are ever identical, but it is it is so exciting working in a, a fast-paced company that's making a real change in the industry. And something you touched on there is that the broader legal ops community and legal community. And, and something that, that I love about it, and I, I know you love about it, is the inclusiveness of that community. I'd be interested in understanding what that means for you, maybe personally and professionally. Absolutely. Well, first of all, I've always been one to, I think, follow my own path and question the status quo. And that is certainly something that the legal operations space and legal tech space are, are very much about. So that definitely means a lot to me. And then on a more personal level, the, the community has been incredibly supportive of myself and of others. And that I find very encouraging because I certainly have 
struggled in the past at times with various things and the community has always been there and very supportive of me and I've always tried to do the same for them and that I think means a lot especially as we've navigated the past few years with this pandemic I think that there is certainly an increased need to be there for one another and and be supportive and just understand at the end of the day we're all humans we all have imperfections we all have struggles and like the others have those same struggles and so the only way we can know how to help someone is to understand if they're struggling or not and so I've been fairly upfront and transparent about my own been encouraging of others to do the same because although it's scary again it also indicates to others that they're not alone and allows others to help them and support them. I couldn't agree more Colin you've shown so much leadership in the community which is inspiring to others and, and I know you've been uh, a really strong voice and somebody who's provided a huge amount of support to others as well, which, which has made a huge impact. And I think it goes back to that point you made about one of the major lessons you took from the mentoring you received is the importance of empathy. And I think we're very fortunate in the, the legal tech community, the legal ops community, that there is an abundance of empathy and, and a real passion for key projects and initiatives like diversity and inclusion, where Corporate legal departments, for instance, have that opportunity to be a real agent for change within their organizations, within the ecosystem, in terms of the law firms they work with. Um, and uh, you can see the, the, the positive change that, that's happening. Absolutely. I really think that if you feel like you're having an impact and you feel like you're being supportive and can see how that is playing out, that is incredibly motivating and ultimately, I think, makes you a happier, more productive person overall. And final question for me, Colin, I've, I've loved our chat. I, I, I was saying off air before we started, I felt like I knew you already from your, your blog post, from LinkedIn, but this is the first time you and I have ever spoken and I've certainly really enjoyed the conversation. Final question for me, unrelated to, to legal technology, what do you enjoy doing in, in your spare time? I really like to travel, which thankfully I'm able to do more of now as things have calmed down a little bit on that, on the pandemic front. Um, I also really like the outdoors quite a bit. So I enjoy skiing. I enjoy hiking, walking, just being outside. Being in the mountains are probably, is probably one of my favorite places to be. I also enjoy just writing in general. So I just write a lot. I find it therapeutic. So I have lots of just random thoughts that I've written down over the years, stored in various places. So those are one of the things I enjoy doing. I also love video games. I actually have a, a gaming computer right next to me over here. You can't see it that I enjoy playing and that I find a lot of fun in as well. That's cool. And, and any uh, upcoming trips, Colin, for the, the summer? Well, we're uh, going to uh, Colorado in July. So that should be a nice, nice time. Colorado is probably one of our favorite places to be because there's the mountains, obviously. And we've been there many times to ski as well, which is something I really like to do. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, well, Colin, enjoy that trip. Thank you so much for, for joining us today on In-House Outliers. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you very much. It's been an uh, honour and a pleasure. I'm Alex Kelly, host of the In-House Outliers podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Brightflag, an AI-powered legal operations platform where corporate legal departments gain visibility into operations maximize productivity, and engage with outside counsel strategically. If you like this episode, then you can find more information in our show notes. If you want to hear more, then you can also find more episodes at brightflag.com 
forward slash legal hyphen operations hyphen podcast. Thanks again for listening to the In-House Outliers podcast. We'll see you again next time.